Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Secure the Insecure episode 20. This is the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Sefer and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. Sometimes famous, sometimes not, but they want to educate you into their insecurity. Coming up on this episode, I'm changing things up. It's not a celeb episode, but it's one that I think is so important to listen to. So you wouldn't have heard of this young lady who is one of the most inspirational people I have ever met. This is Jodie Mattis' story. Now, Jodie wants to talk about the language of death. And I met Jodie Matty, who is 23, but she has had to grow up so quickly because her dad, Alan, passed away when she was nine years old. And... I've never met someone who's got such a big heart after such a tragic loss so young who just embraces life, embraces friendships, embraces helping other people, not being selfish, but going, I've gone through this, I need to go and help other people. So on Secure the Insecure, Jodie talks about how we talk about death and what we need to do to help people grieve. She works with Grief Encounters where she sees children and teenagers on a daily basis who need help in understanding what has happened and how to move forward and how we change that conversation. Jodie reflects on this, but also what's interesting is that she talks about blended families. The fact that her family never forget their father, Alan, but have had to also carry on living and her mum has met someone new and how that has helped make a change. So to begin with, I wanted to go back to her childhood and what her family structure was like. I was one of three siblings. I have an older brother and a younger brother and my mum and my dad, so a family of five. When my younger brother was born, my dad started feeling quite unwell, so he sort of kept it quiet for a bit, knowing that the excitement of Jack being born was what was to celebrate, you know, life, basically a baby. Anyway, a few weeks after Jack was born, my dad went to go have the check. He was 34 at this point. And when being checked, they got taken in again for a second visit to the hospital and they basically confirmed to him that his bowel cancer had returned. And obviously secondary cancer is much more extreme, so routes of treatment was a bit more complicated at this point. So I feel that most of my childhood was probably with 
an unwell dad as much as my photos and my videos and everything like that shows otherwise I think when I really look back at it deeply we really were all brought up with the unknowingness of what was going to happen to our dad he was full of life full of energy full of strength it was he wasn't housebound at all I felt like I had that you know happy perfect life of a family of five we were never really fully exposed to what the truth was and it isn't till how many years of personal therapy 23 times 9, I don't know, 14 years of personal therapy that I've actually realised that as much as I perceive my childhood as happy and perfect, looking deeply, I was so aware of what was actually going on. And I think maybe everyone underestimated the ability of what children can pick up on. Well, also, your parents did such a good job at making sure that you were having a happy childhood. Yeah, and exactly. your mum, especially, to have to make sure that you're here, there and everywhere and also not know what's really going on with your dad and to keep you happy is a massive thing for her to carry. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it was actually his choice, so that's another thing that she had to hold for him because it's not, you know, it's not her life, it's his life, what was happening, his journey. So she just respected that for him and let him not tell us the full truth. Do you think... You should have known the whole truth. And it's very hard for you to understand it completely because of how old you are. I think, you there's think you ways, I think there's ways to tell your children what's going on and maybe don't tell them to the extent it's at. You know, well, it's secondary cancer, so it's probably not going to get better or something in that extreme. But, you know, saying, Daddy's not very well and, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen. Illnesses are confusing or maybe showing it in some way of an art form. Or I don't know if there's any books available that talk about cancer and, I don't know, just a softer approach to tell the children, but definitely to keep them in the loop of what is going on. Because it's very easy, like you said, to hide it and to not say anything and then it builds up and then suddenly he's gone and you've got no complete understanding about what's happened because you're not involved in it and you, there's things that you would have wanted to say or things you would have wanted to do or gestures that you wanted to done at the time but you hadn't known that yeah no exactly it's yeah it's difficult then when jack turned six he turned six in september um i think my dad moved in to the hospice first week of january maybe so a few months after jack turned six and you were nine at this point. i was nine at this point um my dad had celebrated his 40th birthday um which was you know a goal of his to reach 40 um and beginning of january first week of january my dad moved into a hospice where they basically said you know all the he went everywhere he went brazil he went to israel he went absolutely everywhere for every treatment possible um so when it really was you know too late for anything they moved him into a hospice and that's the point where we were told he actually is really really not well we need to say goodbye because we don't know how long he's got my mum must have explained to us what hospice is it's a place where you know they manage pain because there's nothing else now that can make him better there's just a place that can make you not be in so much pain so i think maybe i was explained something like that not to the extent of it's a place where you die. The language of death is something that they should look at nowadays because a hospice should be, yes, it's a place for pain management, but it's a place where you go because there's nothing else to do. So it's sort of a place to, and you know, finish your life off in comfort. 
And what support did you have as a child of someone whose father had gone into hospice? The hospice were incredible. It's like, a, you know, it became my dad and mum's. My mum moved in there as well. Me and my siblings moved into my nana's house um, for two months. But, you know, they saw it as a home. Mum had a bed. All the staff were so lovely. They were so close um, to my dad. My dad had jokes with everyone every day. He still had work meetings there if he wanted them. You know, they were so hospitable to him. So they were amazing, if I remember correctly. But I think also I was blessed with the support network I had around me. And not everyone has such a amazing knit around them. Um, you know, I've got so I've got a huge family. I've got loads and loads of friends, as to my parents. And I think we were just very lucky in that everyone had our back and everyone was looking out for us. How did you discuss it with your friends who, at the time, you were nine, ten years old, who would have no idea about death either, especially when it comes to a parent? So my very, very close friends um, knew, you know, that he was dying for a few weeks. So when I wasn't at school, they'd come back to my nana's after school and tell me about their day and just sort of, you know, act as nine-year-olds. It wasn't, it was never a it's not like it, it was our sole focus of our conversation. It was just that they had probably been told, you know, Jodie's dad is dying. But as a group of three, we never really... I don't think we ever spoke about it. And do you think that's good? I mean, look, if it was now, and it's quite interesting to see if it was to happen now, how how would you have done things differently? Do you think you should have been more open, you should have been discussing it in more, or do you think it should stay as one issue but it can't? take no, over your life like everyone that. should you know everyone should know what's happening and be told of it yes it's scary for nine-year-olds but also it's life and it happens and especially if it's that it's happening to a close friend you know they need to know what she'll, she'll be going through maybe learning some things of coping mechanisms or something to help your friends out and things like that but i was in year five and i missed school for quite a while after it happened and before it happened and i remember returning back to school and being told that there was an assembly on the week my dad died to tell the school that alan matty had died and yes it's amazing that they did that but i also felt that there's so much for telling people that he's died and then there's also actually you know don't tread on eggshells around the family they're a normal family living their life yes something horrendous heartbreaking something has shattered their whole life but they still need to come to school they still need to put you know put a smile on their face and be you know we're still living you know our life is still going on it's changed but it still has to, you can't just drop everything because of what's happened. And I think they just needed to communicate that within the assembly. Obviously, I wasn't there, so I don't know if they did. But I think basically schools need training on the ways to tell people that someone has died and what to do with the family. And This is my big thing. We spend so much time in school focusing on maths and English, which you're never going to use algebra again. You're never going to use Pythagoras theorem again. Don't even know it. <laughs> uh, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Oh. I have no idea what that actually means. It's just something that's in the back of my head somewhere. <laughs> but there's not enough time spent on life skills. You have the drugs line come in once a year and you've got the alcohol people and a sex talk which just becomes really flippant and funny because you're kids and you don't really understand it. There's not enough about life though. For example, when it comes to death, when it comes to bills that you need to pay for things. And I've never understood why. I've never understood why schools aren't there to really go do you know what this is life this is what you're actually going to face at some point and you're right in a school assembly it shouldn't just be look we're going to want to make this announcement be nice to her 
what does it mean for me? You know, how do I talk to her? When do I say something? If I didn't know her, but I want to say something, can I go up to her? Can I message her? What do I say? It's learning about the language of death as well. You know, if people come up to you and say, I'm so sorry for your loss. Well, no, you know, it's not a loss. You you lose your car keys. You lose your phone. It, I'm so sorry for the death of your dad, or I'm so sorry that your dad has died. You know, really vocalise what has happened. It's, you know, you're you're not going to see your dad again. And that's something that people need to understand. It's, I just don't think they're trained that in school. And would you want those people to come up to you, those who don't know, to say to you, I'm sorry your dad has died? Or would you think they need to mind their own business? And I've told my friends, and those are the ones that actually need to know this. Well, look, that's obviously a personal preference. I like the more support, the merrier. You know, I want everyone to, rather than be the elephant in the room, knowing, you know, that's Alan Matty's daughter. Or, you know, rather than being that, actually, them coming up to me and being, I'm so sorry for what happened, or I'm so sorry, you know, you're going through this, and I'm here for you if they're there for me, or just, you know, showing their support in another way rather than treading on eggshells and me feeling like an elephant in a room. When horrific things like this happen, the one thing that sort of sort of keeps you going is the support around you and how everyone is just... I think it shows people's true colours, how they are. They can be so incredible and just keeps you going and realise appreciating life and realising that you know life is worth living and people have your back regardless of what's happened and regardless of you know your life feeling like you know there's never going to be brightness back because my family's never going to be five people again it's you know it's all changed but actually showing people being there for you people having your back people holding a shoulder to cry on for you keeps you going and makes you really appreciate life and you're never going to forget him, but you do have to move on afterwards to an extent. So I always say you don't move on, you move forward. Because, okay. you know, it's not something you can just, you know, move on from it. Well, you know, every day I'll think of him one way or another. Every day there'll be something that triggers me or something that makes me think of him or something that makes me miss him or just anything like that. But I think you move forward in the fact that, for example, for me, my whole career path and my journey has been shaped because of what's happened to me. We all have a job to do in the world and your dad did his job by giving you that platform which you wouldn't have had if he hadn't passed. Yeah. Tell us about what you then did when you went to university because that's kind of where it really started for you into this journey that you ended up going on. When I went to go study at Leeds University, I did sociology um, but really focused on psychology sort of side of sociology if that makes sense and more personal than society based um and in my final year i did my thesis on the lack of child bereavement support services funded by the government and how charities such as grief encounter fill such a needed gap to supply this support to bereaved individuals um and this then led me to you know realize the the struggle that charities face by relying solely on people's pockets people's donations and it just made me think i actually need to to do something because this platform this charity is unbelievable and people need this support so you know yes i'm one one person but if i can be a little bit of a help to this charity then i need to do that so i left university volunteered for them for two and a half years obviously working with bereaved children 
it triggers, you know, it brings up loads of things, but it's also so rewarding at the same time. People say that grief encounters have become your family. So I felt like I became part of this bigger family of people that are connecting, but on such a deeper level, because we've all experienced something so serious and something similar but different at the same time. Six months ago, I was employed by them and I also am training to be a play therapist. So play therapy is it's an alternative approach to therapy where we use play, in my case, children to articulate themselves a bit better or express themselves better. They can use it through arts and crafts, drama, dance, music, all different ways rather than talking. Wow. It's amazing because you're inspiring so many people and helping Aww. so many people. Thank you. And you're never really going to get the true thanks that you deserve because the kids who have come to you are the parents who are looking for an outlet and they've seen, look, grief and cancer exist, we'll send our kid there and you go and help them and they're not going to come back to you in 10 years. They might come back to you in 10 years, Tom, it's too early to tell. That's but- the thing, it really it is a long-term thing. These people are family for life and they make friends and I think... I do get the thanks that I feel that I deserve because just seeing, you know, one of the children smile, you know, or that they had the best day ever, you know, when we finish a session or a workshop and one, you know, smiles and says, I've had the best day ever. That just makes you realise that you actually have given them true hope, you know, that they realise that life is worth living and they will get through it, not get over it, they will get through it. If anything, there are moments where you can't stop thinking about the person you've lost and how, what would they say? What would they think? You know, what would they want me to do? And all of those questions that you ask yourself. So I set up Grief Sock, which is basically a society for bereaved young adults. So those aged 18 to 25, maybe going to university, getting jobs that are about to embark on, you know, the next steps of their life. A community where we'll meet up regularly for social events chat and chill sessions not nothing too intense just a group of bereaved young adults supporting other bereaved young adults there's no higher therapist or anything like that it's all equal and just a place to speak about what we've gone through if we want to or just socialize and have a lovely evening and what then happens to someone like your mum when it comes to her wanting to have a next partner for example because she would have been around the age of 40 when she lost your dad but she's still got her whole life ahead of her yeah so my mum was widowed at 34 which is obviously very young i actually think my biggest fear and most people's biggest fear is will their parent meet someone else and is that replacing in my case my dad and me and my mum from the age of 11 to 13 or 14 really didn't get on you know our relationship crumbled it was awful I one of the signs of grief is anger and I think I took all my anger out on her and I just couldn't bear her going out late at night or going for dinner with people I didn't know I wanted to know where she was what she was doing I used to read her text messages I was you know crazy but when looking at it I wasn't crazy I was just fearful that my mum was replacing my dad with someone else but now looking back at it as my mum has remarried the most incredible man ever from New York and I've got three new step siblings um it's realizing that if the person your parent in my case my mum chooses my um the conversation of you know my dad then it's okay because they know that if my dad was alive then maybe this wouldn't have happened. But he just accepts us talking about my dad and how much we love him. It's people that 
shut down conversation of the spouse that's gone that are, are no good because that is that is almost like they're replacing them because they're shutting down the conversation of what's happened our dad in our house we've got photos absolutely everywhere of my dad and my step siblings mum who they unfortunately lost their mum six years ago and there's just pictures everywhere of both of them because why shouldn't there be it's not replacing we still love tina and alan but we also love brad and they love my mum leanne i can't thank you enough jodie thank thank you you so much much for being so open and educating because like i said it's if you've not been there, you don't know what to do when that happens to you. Yeah. And they always talk about the five stages of grief, but that's only one part of it. Yeah. Like you said, it's all about opening everything... the conversation about exactly. all talking. So I actually feel that this was really helpful for me, speaking the truth and talking out because that's, you know, the most therapeutic thing to do. That was Jodie Matty talking about the language of death on Secure the Insecure. What an amazing educational guest she was. You wouldn't have thought it because it is very, very, very hard to know what to do in certain situations. If you knew someone had died, do you message that person's relatives if you don't know them, but you think that you should message them? Is it intrusive? Do they want you to know? Do they want you to ask, even though they don't really know who you are? But it's a thing that it's like a community. You all come together and you all look for that light at the end of the tunnel. To be there for one person, you never realise how much that means to that person. So be there for that person and be there for yourselves. Always ask for help. If you don't know how to ask, just speak. Just say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm in pain. It could be about deaths. It could be about anything else. But just speak. Jodie's shown how strong her friendship group is and how that really helped her move forward and how they still reflect on her father and they've never forgotten him, but they've also moved on a little bit as well. So you've been listening to Security and Security with me, Johnny Seifert. If you've liked what you've heard, please do rate the podcast. Please like the podcast and please share it. Please put it on your social medias. I want to see it on your Instagram stories. Tag me at Johnny Seifert and show me you're listening to the podcast. I want to make sure that you're being educated into topics that you do not know about. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.